But now we're seeing these big characteristics around sustainability and ESG, and they're being weighed stronger and stronger. So customers are coming to us saying, we're actually losing bids. We think it's a competitive disadvantage or inherently competitive advantage if we can demonstrate these qualities that are superior to our competitors. And they're winning more bids, being able to demonstrate that buying their products is not going to contribute to human rights in the supply chain. ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness in 2021. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to this episode. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by James Calder and Jared Connors, both from Ascent. Gentlemen, before we get started, could I ask you to tell the audience your current roles with Ascent? James, if I could start with you. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Very happy to join. A little background on myself is I'm responsible here at Ascent for what we call our subject matter expertise in the organization. And that's making sure our own solutions that are services, but backed by the leading edge sustainability supply chain software, have the best expectations when it comes to regulatory requirements and market practices. So we only can do that if we have really strong colleagues beside us. And an example right here is beside me, Jared Connor. Yeah. And I'm on James's team looking at responsible sourcing and ESG and helping our wonderful product team help make sense of the market and how we need to develop those solutions to meet the needs of companies reporting obligations. James, if I could start with you, because my observation about ESG during the pandemic and equally importantly after the Russian invasion of Ukraine was it had become obviously much more ubiquitous, but also much more impactful around not simply doing good or uh, things that may have initially led it, but actually to company performance. So I was wondering if you could give your thoughts on what are some of the broader market expectations you're seeing around company performance and ESG? Yeah, it's, it's a really important question. I think you sometimes hear a narrative for those that haven't dug deep into the situation of, oh, there's bigger problems. So let's ignore these you know, fundamental issues around sustainability, our environment, you know, human rights. But what we did see when COVID occurred, right away, you just saw this reaction. And I think, especially I get a couple of comments from the European Union from the president commission. And I think the technical term is pissed off (laughs) when they relied on the global supply chain. It kind of failed them. They had this huge dependency on this global supply chain. And then all of a sudden COVID occurred. And then they realized we have to become more resilient. And maintaining resilience did also increase the need for the environment resilience, as we see with the conflict in Ukraine. And we see the shifting of increased regulations. I've never seen so many regulations put down on paper to And the reason that they're accelerating in North America, too, is because it's a way for those to reach across the table in sometimes very difficult political situations. You see that there are a lot of drivers for human rights, reducing our impact on climate change, etc. But then you also have some folks on their side of the table are saying, no, no, we've become more domestically resilient. We need to bring manufacturing back to our region, etc. So how would we do that? Well, you get actually a line agreement to say, well, you know what? We're not going to allow imports 
of products that don't meet the expectations as if they're produced in our own domestic region. So you see laws being created that focus on the environment, that focus on human rights, and especially supply chain due diligence in the supply chain. So that companies can kind of go, you know what, it's a risk now to source from regions that don't abide by the appropriate environmental controls or don't abide by our expectations on human rights because it's a supply chain disruption. You see a lot of actors that used to be independent get together and start getting an agreement of, you know what, this is a trade compliance issue. No, no, this is an ESG issue. No, no, this is a production issue. And you know what, they're all right because of how it's become such a prevalent issue at every single board right now. It used to be, I could say, a kind of a niche issue, but we see now it went from, hey, like we don't want to look like we're not doing something. Like That's the risk. And now they're saying we have to do something, and it's a huge risk. If I look at a great quote from the, the German vice chancellor, Robert Habeck, pardon me if I'm mispronouncing, but they stated, this is the politicians stated, that business leaders are leading politicians in Germany with a message that we need to act swiftly, that we must speed up the shift in our economy. So it's not Usually you kind of see these companies, it's like, oh, no, they're always catching up the, the industry. They're not doing enough. Well, actually, they're leading. They're getting ahead of the politicians, ahead of the regulations, because it's a critical business. So that's a great way to look at the holistic structure of how to think through this. Jared, if I could turn to you, I've heard you talk several times about the regulatory pressures, but it's not simply regulatory pressure anymore. It's investor pressure. And it's even more than investor pressure, it's commercial pressure. I love to give the example, and I think you've seen similar, where a company in simply a response to a request for quote will now have to detail their ESG program. So I was wondering if maybe you could give some of the thoughts or if you're actually having conversations with clients and customers of ascent of these other pressures, not simply regulatory, but what I'm going to call the business pressures. It's a really big bucket for companies to fill. And today alone, I've had companies calls with three companies about this. And the first call I had this morning was a company who said, I have to meet a contractual obligation with my customer. So I need to add this program. Okay. And they were talking about social accountability and they needed to be able to do that in their supply chain because they were a contract manufacturer and they needed to look upstream at all of those suppliers of the piece parts and subassemblies. I had two other companies come to me in today and say, if I don't meet these obligations, I can't ship into a certain geography. And they were talking about restrictions on being able to import goods into the United States and the pressures that they were feeling from their customers on showing their due diligence on what their labor practices were to their customers. So there's these companies that are coming out and they're trying to put their best foot forward. But really what's driving it is the broader market expectation. Now companies are looking at competing for new employees, new talent in their organizations, and they want to show that they're a sustainable leader to attract new talent. We see investor relations when we we're talking about the expectations of the what they call the fundamental and the subjective analysis of the financials of a company and how investors are looking at that from a non-financial reporting as much as they're looking at it from a financial performance aspect. In fact, the more C-suite level individuals I talk to, they say that ESG, sustainability, is more of what their shareholder meetings are than what their financials are anymore. And so they have a very close relationship with their broader sustainability teams. And you've never really seen this like you've seen it lately, where 
you have executive sponsors on calls with sustainability teams going through summaries because ultimately they're the ones held accountable in these shareholder meetings or investor relation conversations to be able to talk to, speak adequately to what their performance and outcome of their broader internal and supply chain engagement has been. So James, could I ask you to, to maybe expand on or put on your prognostication hat and ask where you see this going down the road? I have to assume in the U.S. we're going to have some regulation at some point. But beyond that, what additional pressures and or opportunities do you see companies have? Yeah, it's a really good question because if we just look at legal pressure, we sometimes miss the market pressure so often. And when I look at legal requirements, typically it's going after companies have the disproportionate impact on their supply chains or their peers and so on. So it's fantastic to see that, to Jared's point, many companies that we work with, which are typically complex manufacturers, because they, you know, but maybe 90% of their influence on ESG or sustainability is actually from their supply chain. And trying to take that story and communicate that story to their stakeholders, which is a lot of times the customers. So maybe it's a new RFP that our customers are trying to win. And they historically are measured on quality of their products, the cost, delivery, inventory, how much can they build within a certain period of time. But now we're seeing these big characteristics around sustainability and ESG, and they're being weighed stronger and stronger. So customers are coming to us saying, we're actually losing bids. We think it's a competitive disadvantage or inherently competitive advantage if we can demonstrate these qualities that are superior to our competitors and they're winning more bids, being able to demonstrate that buying their products is not going to contribute to human rights in the supply chain. We see through a lot of our monitoring of the supply chain that if there's an issue at a, a factory in some very remote area, it's not going to come down hard on them typically because there's lots of lackadaisical laws potentially. But what they do is they find out who they sell to. And they sell to sometimes directly or even indirectly larger brands. And those larger brands have, you know, power in the media when somebody wants clickbait or whatever it is. If you want to drive behavior or attention, it's not going to be about some issue in some difficult to reach or remote or unheard of area of production. It's going to be who they're selling to because who they're selling to is the one giving them money. And money speaks for a lot when it comes to ESG as we're talking about the future when we look at U.S., as you mentioned, there are a lot of laws being driven, especially when it comes to carbon and reporting. And we do see that they've created their own enforcement task force for ESG. And the statements coming from there is, this is as, just as important as your financial performance. So they expect standards, they expect auditing, they expect you to be able to back up what you say. And that backing up what you say does come from a reporting requirement, an SEC requirement, but it also comes from a competitive standpoint. Are you greenwashing? Are you making statements that are now going to get scrutinized officially? And if you're making statements that says you're a better company, I should get more investment, or my products are better than my competitive products because of these statements around sustainability and ESG, well, if that's not true, you're going to lose in courts. That's competition law. That's a whole other activity that starts to come out. So there's this snowball effect that happens of your business that we recognize now, sustainability, ESG, and those qualities for your products and how companies view your organization are so much more important 
And you've been saying something, but when we've looked at it, it's not quite correct. So now you're going to be taken to courts and all this incredibly painful activities that do occur. Not always visible, but it is happening all the time right now. And it's only going to increase because the value of the consumer, the investor, the commercial purchaser, the public procurement organizations are now valuing when it comes to selecting which products or which businesses they decide to work with. Jared, let me turn to you and change the focus just a little bit, because professionally, you grew up in the conflict mineral world. And as you know, professionally, I grew up in the anti-bribery, anti-corruption world. And in both of those worlds, we had to look at those we either did business with on the supply chain or on the sales side for compliance reasons. But in looking at the supply chain, at looking at sales side agents, resellers, or distributors, I think we both discovered inefficiencies, or there was the opportunity to discover inefficiency. And I want to use that as really an introduction to, does ESG offer companies that same opportunity to, with data, determine if there are inefficiencies in the supply chain? And if there are inefficiencies, can business solutions be brought to bear to help make companies actually run more efficient from the data you're required to collect for your ESG program? That's a good question. I'm going to answer that with a really simple story, a really interesting point solution that one individual company came up with when they were going out and looking at their emissions strategy. And their executives weren't bought in. They said, we don't feel the need to do this whole ESG effort. We feel like it's a nice to have, but we see the need to tell some sort of a story. They started working with their outsourced trucking vendor. Okay, They ship goods all over the United States. And they said, we need you to disclose to us your emissions from your vehicle fleets where they're use cases for our particular goods. And this particular sub-supplier, actually, they represented 80% of the total sales volume to this particular sub-supplier, this transportation supplier. That transportation supplier had no idea how they were going to better their emission strategy because they needed to get these goods from point A to point B. They weren't going to reinvest in electric vehicles overnight on their entire fleet. So they started really simple. They started with the measurement and they said, now that we've measured, let's see what we can do with this. And the first thing suggestion that they had was a no idling clause. Okay. And that simply meant their truck drivers turned the trucks off when they went into McDonald's or were in the yard or being loaded or unloaded in the yards. And after they did this for one quarter, they saw several thousand dollars in fuel savings. Now, imagine the fluctuations in fuel cost in 2022. This was back in 2021. This organization was able to save thousands of dollars in 2021 on fuel costs after they just instituted a no idling clause. Now, going to their customer, they talked about what they were doing for emission strategy, and they renegotiated that contract. So here, a customer sees an opportunity for reporting on emissions. The supplier goes and realizes a cost savings to them, and they renegotiated the contract because they had an agreement on a margin between those two companies, and both companies saw a savings. So it's incredible the opportunities that are out there in the world of ESG. And when you think about that in the context of labor, for example, if you're helping the well-being of these organizations or these individuals out there working in these organizations, oftentimes you see a lot more efficiency and better quality in the work. And so that means better quality in production. So that's another area where companies have seen that. And I've seen that in our opportunities where companies have offered more healthcare benefits to their employees, more compensation, better 
childcare to those individuals, guaranteed that they wouldn't hit over a certain overtime to put pressure on those employees to work more hours. And that made a happier workforce. And they see indirect effect of the quality of those products going up at the same time. There's costs that are directly related or savings that are directly related. And then there's efficiencies and cost reduction that's indirectly an opportunity of ESG engagements. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us at our next episode where we take up the intersection of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act and supply chain and ESG. But before we leave, if our listeners wanted any additional information on any of the topics we've touched on today or Ascent, what would be the best place for them to go? I think the best place to go right to our website, Ascent.com. There's always a lot of information. Our organization is built on ensuring we have a technology solution with services, but also expertise. So we won't provide you just a website to click contact us. You'll continue to learn. Just as we're learning right here on this podcast, Tom, it's fantastic to have us here. There's always more opportunity to learn. And I find those that get deep into these subjects, to Jared's point, help save a lot of money at their organizations and help prevent a lot of adverse impacts to their business. Gentlemen, I uh, thank you for your time and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Always a pleasure, Tom. Thank you, Tom.